Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you, and a little preview of what's coming up later in the show. For our inbox, we have a girl who's dating a guy, but both she and her mom are really concerned that he is right now estranged from his family, and what will that mean for their relationship moving forward? So our counselor, uh, Tim, is going to weigh in on that. And then for our culture segment, Pastor J.P. Pakluda is back uh, with us again to discuss some of the content in his new book on dating and really from a biblical perspective. And you know him. Uh, He was the former leader of the porch uh, at Watermark Church in Dallas, and now he's a lead pastor down in Waco. Um, So he's always talking to young adults. And so this will be really cool uh, to talk to him. Uh, Well, then here we are for our roundtable. And uh, we're going to have a fun and spirited conversation today. This is a three-part series where we're talking through respectable sins. Um, Do you know that there are respectable sins? Um, Not really, but that's kind of what we call them. Many of you maybe have read the book by Jerry Bridges. He was on The Boundless Show in the past. Uh, They're kind of those sins that we like to make excuses for or sweep under the rug, whether it's individually or as a church. And it's kind of like, well, I've got bigger fish to fry or there are people out there, you know, doing really bad things. So let's just, God's not going to worry about this in my life. Well, you know what? Sin is sin. Uh, We know that. And anything that is uh, taking a place in our life that should be reserved only for the Lord is going to be problematic and is going to you know, mar our relationship with him. And so we want to talk about this. And so I am welcoming to the show today, uh, Kat, Diane, and Austin. Hey, y'all. Hi. Hey. Woot, woot. Okay, (laughs) so today's respectable sin, we are going to talk about self-control. Okay, so, and I was joking with you guys when we started taping about like, you know, hey, let's talk about self-control. And the first people I think of are Austin, Diane, and Kat. (laughs) No, (laughs) because because I, and I'm putting myself in every one of these, uh, every one of these roundtables that we're going to do. I was like, oh man, is there any of these that aren't my issue? I was hoping to come up with at least something where I could get a pass on it. I don't know. Um, But this is going to be a good conversation. And I want us to start out just by setting the stage of like, just put it out there. Give us a brief little summary of kind of where, you know, in the in the realm of self-control, what that looks like, because this could run the gamut of a number of different issues. It really, you know, self-control, if we define it, and it is a fruit of the spirit, so something we should go after, Um, but not in a legalistic weird sense, but I think self-control is allowing uh, and allowing God to help us not be mastered by something, and that, you know, anything there can, uh, we can run the gamut in describing that, so um, how about if we start off, uh, Kat, why don't you kick it off for us and and tell us about your struggle with self-control? Oh, boy, where do (laughs) I start? Um, you know, for me, my biggest issue with self-control is in my, um, I, I have a food addiction. I mean, a bona fide, genuine addiction to food. I love to eat. What's worse is I love to cook. And so because I love to cook, I want to eat everything. But I just, and for years, I used to um, deny that I had any kind of addiction. Um, but, you know, it, it's there. It's it's real and I I can't control my addiction or um, work on my recovery 
by myself. I have no, I have, I don't have the self-control that I need. I need God and, and, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a daily thing for me with the self-control. My husband would like to say that my tongue is my biggest, um, (laughs) my biggest self-control issue, but, uh, (laughs) there's, there's a lot to be said about that too. But now for me, it's, it's, it's just my, my addictive behavior when it comes to to food. Okay. And tell us a little bit, um, Kat, where, like, how has this affected your life? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, it's one of those things that you think, you know, gluttony is mentioned in the Bible, but we don't, I, I, I guess it really is one of those things that we like to brush under the rug or we don't like to talk about. Um, but my gluttony, my lack of self-control when it comes to food um, has caused some pretty serious physical ramifications and the physical ramifications and the health ramifications have been costly to not just me personally, but my marriage. Um, And with, you know, just um, being engaged in um, things that I like to do or you know, the results of my lack of self-control and my gluttony, um, you know, have stifled me in a lot of things, in a lot of ways. But, um, yeah, so. Well, I like you making that point because, I mean, I've known you quite a while, Kat. We've worked together for a long time. And I think anyone who knows you would say, oh, okay, well, Kat, you know, from all appearances, you look like you weigh less now than you have in the past. But I think that's kind of like a false, we say stuff like that, like, oh, now I've mastered this because the outward, you know, there's an outward manifestation. So like, okay, it's in check, whatever, no big deal. But I think we're going to see as we have this conversation that it's like, this is usually a lifelong struggle for most people. Exactly. And, and, uh, you know, um, and I have done things to help you know, get the weight off, but that doesn't fix, that doesn't fix the mindset that doesn't fix the, the internal issues that, that caused the physical, uh, ramifications of, of, of all that. So yeah, Yeah. it's, it's, that doesn't go away. Yeah. Okay. Diane, tell us about yours. Cause there's a little bit of a parallel here. Mine is like the opposite cat where I struggled with anorexia, which is also a self-control issue because the mirror and the scale became my self-worth. So I would eat 800 calories a day and exercise tremendously. So 800 calories is not not enough to sustain. Mm -mm. Um, But the mirror and the scale are the things that determined how I felt that day. So mm-hmm. I would get up, weigh myself, and if it was like two pounds over or a pound and a half, then my day was ruined because um, I, I look at me. This is horrible. Growing up in Southern California, you are in shorts and mm-hmm. a bathing suit, and you know, so you are always on display. And so in the same way that you struggled with food, I struggled the opposite way. So um, an Oreo cookie is really four or five things to me. Mm -hmm. So you eat one Oreo, but you break it apart. So you've got the cookie on the outside, cookie on the outside, the cream on the inside. But you break the cookie half in half again. So you have two, two, and the center part. So one Oreo is going to last me as long as it took somebody else to eat five. Mm, Wow. And so it's like it's that same 
But my addiction was acceptable because skinny Mm -hmm. is in. Mm. And the fear of not being skinny drove me to stop eating. Yeah, that's such a good point, Diane. And it's funny, I'm going to jump in here because I feel like my life has been kind of somewhere between the two of you. Like my mother... uh, dieted as long as I could remember. And I think I went on my first diet with her when I was in grade school, Mm -hmm. because I saw, you know, I was like, you know, hello, I'm Scandinavian. I was taller than some (laughs) of the other kids. I was just kind of, you know, I was always like big boned. Um, And so I just thought of myself as fat. And so I just remember, I I love the way we've had um, the author Asherita Chuchu on the show Mm -hmm. before, and she talks about it as a food fixation. And whether you're thinking about food or thinking about not thinking about food, right. you're mm-hmm. still thinking about food and mm-hmm. you are fixated on it and it is ruling your day mm-hmm. and it's ruling your life. And I feel like I have gone between the two extremes of that for most of my life with varying success at you know patching together the outward appearance and making it whatever. So we're going to circle back to that. But Austin, I want you to jump in and just talk a little bit about your own struggle. Well, I definitely relate to the, uh, the overeating. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... Uh, it's always been one of those, I love food, um, but I, uh, I just, I pay for it and I run all the time. So mm-hmm. I hate running. Yeah, me too. But oh, okay. <laughs> that's how I, that's how I pay for it. At least most of the time, sometimes I get really lazy, but I would say overall, my biggest, uh, issue with self-control would be overspending. Um, I guess this was worse before I got married. Uh, now I have someone to tell me you cannot buy that. <laughs> and I know <laughs> um, her. <laughs> so that's been really good. But before then, it was definitely a problem where I would say, I want this. I don't have enough money. We'll just put it on the credit card. Mm-hmm. And I was always just kind of playing catch up on making credit card payments. It was like, all right, how long until I can pay this off so I can go ahead and buy some more things for myself or... I would be already in debt and then um, run into the issue of like, oh, my car needs to be serviced and now I don't have any money. Mm-hmm. So I just got to mm-hmm. load this credit card up more and more, um, which that was that was a huge problem for a long time until I got married. And then she was like, all right, give me that credit card. <laughs> um, so now it's uh, now it's changed a little bit to where um, when we're out, uh, if we go out to eat, I always like to order more than she will let me um, <laughs> so uh it's been good being married to have that um reined in a little bit but I still there's times that I have to like tell myself no you don't need this um so that's been the biggest struggle in my life is okay spending too much so did you Austin like prior to marriage or even heading into marriage did you then have to grapple with debt or with what did that look like as far as ramifications for you well thankfully I never let my debt go out of control so we're never too far behind on anything so when we did get married it didn't take long to get back to breaking even on credit cards um so Okay. It wasn't it wasn't too far off. I always knew that it was an issue to spend too much on the credit card. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would always try to pay off as much as I could. So there's times that I was I'd buy a lot for myself and then I'd go into a season of we're eating ramen noodles for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is interesting because again, even that is like the you know, paying the piper kind of thing where again it's it's controlling your days. You're having to constantly mm-hmm. say, Okay, where am I? Where's the line? How am I holding the line? Mm-hmm. It's like again, I think the common theme here is it's a loss of freedom. Right. You're losing the freedom in this. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. 
Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about where, um, you know, when you think of how the culture has viewed your sin in particular or whatever, you know, there's there's some probably shame around it in the sense of a lot of that is maybe self-imposed, but there's also kind of this, like I think of, you know, I tend to always think like this is just women, but Austin, maybe you'll disagree, like where we get together in our little clutches, whether it's for coffee or whether it's our small group or whatever. And we're also like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, we always want to be so, quote unquote, encouraging that we're just giving like broad brush passes on a lot of stuff. OK, so it's like, you know, well, that's not that's not really a sin. That's just a struggle or that's not, you know, or we see it on the larger scale of like, say, you know, why have we as a as a body of believers or as churches like completely enabled like full on potlucks or everything like has to happen around food. I've jokingly, you know, said to people like, well, it's a lot easier to study the Bible if you have food, you know, it's like, (laughs) so of course we're going to do that at our Bible study or it's a lot easy, you know, you're, you're just, you know, you're, you're dropping money on a lot of furniture and an awesome house or all this stuff so that you can be more hospitable, you know, which is helping people, you know, share the, Mm -hmm. helping share the gospel by providing a nice place for people. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Where do you guys think a lot of this is sourced out of the thinking around this? Wow. You know, for me, I grew up in a very, with a very hospitable mother and food, you know, I come from multiple generations where food was just a, a, just a large part. I mean, we, you just, you didn't, there was no just stopping by at grandma's for Mm -hmm. a few minutes. I mean, you stopped by, you were prepared to, to eat. And so I think I know there were years and years and years where I would, I I never looked at it as sin. I looked at it, like you were mentioning earlier, uh, as a struggle, just something that I had to contend with. But the, the problem was, you know, and if I could just not think about food, it would, that you know, just stop thinking about, you know, what you're going to eat tomorrow or what you're going to have, you know, for dinner or whatever. Um, but then you start getting into this, you, you know, the wheels start spinning. Well, you know, I have, a, I have kids to raise. I have a husband to feed. I have, so I couldn't, I couldn't get away from it. And so, um, it just, and it wasn't something that we talked about. I can remember, I grew up in a Christian home, but it wasn't something that we, gluttony was not something that we talked about. I mean, you know, you read about it in the Old Testament, you read about it in the New Testament about, you know, it, it, it was in that that list of things that you're not supposed to be or you're not supposed to do. But it wasn't, I don't think a lot of people, at least when I was growing up, it wasn't talked about in our church. It wasn't considered sin, even though it's clear as day. Um, and so I just moved through, you know, my issues with food and self-control, thinking that, you know, everything was fine and dandy. I was, you know, a good Christian and I was, you know, trying to walk with God and I was doing all these things that I was supposed to be doing. And yet, you know, I wasn't facing the reality of of my own sin because it just was never... Nobody talked about it. If somebody had talked about it, I think 
it would have made a difference, at least for me personally, to understand that what I was going through was actually, it was not just a struggle, it was a, a struggle with sin. I think by going to the, the thinner route, it became pride because you wanted to make sure that you looked good enough so that when you stepped into the room, were you the thinnest one in the room? Mm -hmm. Were you the prettiest one in the room? Am I going to be acceptable if I wear this size rather than the other size? And it's all consuming. It's um, it, You only think about yourself the whole time because you're worried about what everybody else is thinking. Mm -hmm. And really, when you boil it down, it comes down to pride. And pride is a huge sin. Yeah. So that was the trigger for the eating disorder, which mm -hmm. is a sin. Mm -hmm. So it's always been hard for me to see um, that it's sin that I'm actually involved in because it's uh, it's been jealousy, envy, or gluttony even. Um, but it's been overshadowed by when you're out to eat, it's like, let's have a good time, which just what can we order? It sounds good. Let's just order everything on this mm -hmm. menu. And then um, with my friends, uh, they're a great group of guys, but we always, it's, uh, we like to go adventure and it's always, hey, I got this new bike. I got these new parts. Mm -hmm. I got the new camping gear. And it's always like, oh, cool. Now I really want that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what else could I spend? And it's it's been hard to actually see that uh, it is jealousy and mm -hmm envy and gluttony and yeah because it's almost like you're talking about something that you know you're like saying well isn't this the american dream like mm -hmm. isn't this what we've all worked for mm -hmm. like or we get into this thing of like i work hard i deserve this or right. i did you know whether that's food sometimes we do that you know i just had a hard conversation with a friend so i deserve to just have a bowl of ice cream mm -hmm. or i you know pull 12 hour days sometimes at work. So I deserve to get the new bike if mm -hmm. I want to get it, you know, so yeah. totally. So if you guys were to like, just as we finish out there, tell folks then what does freedom look like on this issue? Because, you know, again, we've talked about this is probably a lifelong struggle for many. Where, you know, how does thinking of this as sin change things? And then how do you embrace God's grace in it to wake up on any given day of the week and be able to approach this rightly what it what would be your advice as far as next steps for people to to move forward in this i think recognizing it to mm -hmm. start with mm -hmm. because i didn't recognize it till my daughter was like seven years old we sat down to dinner and she pushed her plate away and i said what are you what are you doing and she goes well i want to be like you mommy i don't want to eat dinner mm -hmm. and that recognition of oh my gosh what am i doing to her because of my pride and it was then that the Lord said, this is an issue with you, Diane, mm -hmm. because now you're affecting somebody else. So it is a moment by moment, step by step. But the first one is recognizing this is an issue. And then I had to tell somebody mm -hmm. else to help hold me accountable. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. where that pride was like, do I even admit this? Yeah. Which is so and, great because we're totally, I mean, we've talked about this before on the show. We are so prone to enter a sin management system right. instead of addressing the root of our sin and truly turning it over to God and saying, you know what, God, you're going to have to help me here. And yeah. I remember the first time that I shared my story, my struggle, um, it was years ago. I had 
you know, half a dozen ladies. It was in a, la- at a ladies retreat with my church and I was sharing my story and my struggle. And I had half a dozen ladies come up to me afterwards and say, oh my goodness, I, I, ha- I struggle with that. And so for me, it has been um, therapeutic. It has been just comforting. It has been um, just an acceptance of the grace of God to be able to uh, you know, speak to that for other people who, you know, are going through the same thing. If I hadn't done what you what you said, Diane, and recognized it as sin, and then shared, mm-hmm. not be afraid to share it. You know, I mean, I don't walk up to total strangers and start talking <laughs> about my food addiction, or you know, but but not be ashamed to share whatever struggles and sin we have, confessing our sins mm-hmm. to one another. I mean, that's. For me, that has been one of the biggest things that has helped helped me. And I wake up every morning with this sin struggle, just like I do every sin struggle, asking God, let everything that I do and I say today glorify and honor you. And that includes what I put in my mouth mm-hmm. to sustain me for the day. And so it is just a daily moment, prayer, moment with mm-hmm. God to say, you know, help me with this, you know, and forgive me because I know I'm flawed. I know I'm going to mess up, but, you know, Mm -hmm. and just, you know, moving forward each day like that. Yeah, I I would echo what Diane said about when it affects someone, it's a real wake-up call. Um, I mean, I knew it was an issue before um, getting engaged, but once that happened, it was like, this is really going to hurt someone else. Um, and I really need to take this to God to help address my self-control issue. Um, cause before it was the, like you were saying, um, about the, just being all right with, uh, sort of struggling with the sin and being okay with it. Um, cause before I was like, it's just affecting me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's kind of an issue, but, I don't really, I'm I'm content where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And then when it started affecting someone else, it was like, I really need to reel it in and address this issue that I'm having. Well, these are good thoughts, you guys. And kind of, it's just the beginning of the conversation in a way. So for those of you who are listening, obviously this might resonate with you. Um, And so we'd love for you to weigh in as well, just with um, the ability for us all to encourage one another as we walk this out. And, you know, some sin struggles are more obvious than others. You know, my friends that have struggled with with weight always say, you know, well, the bummer is mine's just kind of for everyone to see. But, um, But again, it's one of those things where, We've all got our stuff, um, but we all have grace available to us as well. And I think as a community, we can really help one another in this as we move forward. So thanks, you all, for weighing in. Mm, Thank you. Welcome. Thank you.
Well, hey, everyone. Here we are for this week's culture segment. This is part two, uh, last week's conversation with Jonathan Pakluda. We call him JP. He's the author of the book Outdated, Find Love That Lasts When Dating Has Changed, which actually, as of last week, hadn't come out. Now it's out. And so it's out. Uh, we're, we're, it's out, not outdated. It's out. We no. are. Um, so we are very excited to make that book available to you. So when you get a chance, if you haven't heard it, hop back, listen to last week's conversation because you want to make sure you catch that as well. But um, JP, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, Lisa. I'm excited to be here. Okay. Well, we are, um, as I said last week, we're relying on you to give us all the necessary answers for navigating singleness and dating and moving towards marriage so anyone who doesn't do it right we're going to blame you after this segment so well that that's that sounds like the duration of the past 12 years of my ministry so i can't tell you how many angry boyfriends have emailed me my girlfriend just broke up with me because of a sermon she listened to so (laughs) well there you go well it just gives them an opportunity to trust god you know that's right that's right that's how i respond there you go that's how i respond two words trust god yeah awesome um, okay, well, I want to, I promised people at the end of uh, last week's segment that we would talk about game playing in dating. And as I was uh, reading through this portion of the book, I was cracking up because I literally went, this was some years ago now, with a, with a girlfriend of mine to a book signing in Denver. Um, uh, this kind of pseudo celebrity guy had written a book. And um, she, my friend was in love with him, which clearly was problem number one. Um, But anyway, she's like determined to get his book. And then she goes up, gets him to sign it. And she basically just starts insulting him. And (laughs) he was kind of like his eyes were darting around, like looking for security. And then fortunately, the line behind us was kind of like building. And so they kind of had to shuttle us off and be like, "Okay, thanks for coming, you know, whatever. But you could tell he was just like, what was that that just happened? And I asked her about it. And she's like, basically said something to the effect of, yeah, no, I try that because I think that makes me more interesting. And I was, (laughs) she went, she she basically went back to the third grade. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it was funny because then I realized that I couldn't really judge her because my MO in the past had been like to ignore guys and play this weird version of hard to get. And if I just like didn't talk to them, I would seem really mysterious, but really all it did was just make them forget that I existed. And then they never like came and found me. So clearly game playing happens. You got to tell us why in the world among Christians would we settle for this? How do we get caught in this trap? And what do you see some of the big offenders being in this sense? Yeah, I think one of my greatest frustrations in dating is that we take our cues from people who are terrible at it, meaning uh, we're we're looking at Hollywood and the movies and our romance and rom-coms and, uh, and we're trying to learn how to find love and, and we're passing the... Uh, we're walking by, we're overlooking and ignoring the scriptures, the commands, what, what a God who loves us and who actually made us, made humans, uh, created us to be together, what he says on the topic. And so what he says is Romans twelve nine: love must be sincere. Games are the opposite of sincerity. It's no wonder that we're seeing, you know, a, a, a climbing divorce rate and a, and a declining marriage rate. Because if we can't be sincere with each other, then how can we build any kind of relationship that lasts? And so people are always like, I mean, I do this thing on Instagram called Friday Q&A. And most 
of the relationship questions I ask, I get asked are, you know, I feel this way. What do I do? Uh, this is how I feel about this person. What do I do? And I'm always just like, tell them. And they're like, well, you can't, I can't just tell them. I'm like, just tell them the truth. Like, I, yes, you can like be sincere because if you're not, you're going to build something on on a on a rocky foundation my comical story on this is i one time so i became a christian later in life so bc days before uh, i was a christian i had lied to this girl about my age right and and because i thought it was just like gonna be a just hey great to meet you and then we end up dating and and so now we're in a relationship and she thinks I'm three years older than I am. And I'm like, oh, okay, I've got to tell her the truth. And, and, and that's, and it's, that's not going to go anywhere good. Right. I mean, there's, there's nothing that good that can come out of that. So what if we were just honest? What if we didn't ghost somebody? What if we didn't leave them hanging with the three dots? Uh, what if we didn't time ourselves so we wouldn't be so eager and we were just honest and like God can use your honesty. Yeah. Well, and I think so much of it comes down to this fact that just a lack of of trust in God's good purposes for us, because we're so busy trying to, you know, finagle and construct the perfect relationship. And in doing that, we we lie. Um, You guys, the one portion of his story he didn't tell is he actually created a fake ID um, to meet this girl to get into a club. JB. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyway. um, But, you know, we just we make things up and it's just so it's so nutty. But but you know, some of the things that we hear, they seem people are so intense about it. They, you know, I've heard friends of mine say, well, Lisa, I got to make this one work because what if it's my last chance at a relationship or what, you know, he seems to be good enough. I mean, can't God just kind of change him and fix all this mess in him or, you know, yeah. and it's it's kind of like instead of placing our trust in God alone, we are yeah. trying to patch together a relationship that is OK enough. We're trying to do what the enemy did at the beginning when he didn't trust God, but he he wanted to be God. And so we don't want to worship God. We want to be God. We want control. And and what our lack of trust in God does is it drives – so our lack of trust in that vertical relationship drives a lack of trust in our horizontal relationship. And and people don't understand why they're so jealous, why they're they're constantly worried about their significant other, why they can't trust anybody. And it's because you can't be trusted. Like you're, you're playing games and therefore you, you know, at a subconscious level, you're expecting others to play games to you. And so you're constantly questioning everybody's motives because your motives should all constantly be questioned. And the alternative to that is, man, take a deep breath. There's a God who loves me. He's, he's got everything. It, it, he, he determines everything. And so I can, I can trust him. He's good. He's for me. And, uh, it, it, you know, and he's in control. And I don't have to try to control this situation. I don't have to do something to try to, to drive an outcome. That's really what games are. Yeah. Games are when you do something counterfeit to try to get a specific outcome. Yeah. Well, you're very clear in the book about the need to be intentional and clear when dating. And, you know, and, and this is part of it. You know, you, you start by talking about we're called to love each other. What does that look like and how we treat each other in dating? And but how do we do that appropriately? Because, you know, we've talked here on, on our show before about like you don't want to land on a first date and be like, you know, here's my blood type. Here's the number of women I've slept with. Here's the all yep. my angsty issues about everything. Here's my whole past and my my mm-hmm. family mess and whatever. How do we at a, at appropriate times introduce this kind of stuff and yet still keep the ball rolling and be honest in the midst of it? 
Yeah, the way I say it is you want to be in, intentional, not intense. And so intense is, hey, it's so great to meet you. I've been waiting for you. And, and so uh, we're going to be here for 47 minutes. I'm going to order for you. Then we're going to go here. And then tomorrow I'm going to call you at 8.07. Uh, please answer on the third ring. And then I'm going to take you out again next Thursday. And we're gonna, it's like, slow yeah, down, I, buddy. I actually dated that guy, JP. Yeah, I yeah. Did. I, okay. I believe it. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of girls have. And so it's like, slow down, man. And slow down, take a deep breath. And, and what does it mean to be intentional? It just means to remove confusion. When, when people care for one another, they wonder. And, and like this, like, I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder when he's going to call. Uh, I wonder if we'll, we'll date again. And uh, I just, just remove confusion. Try to anticipate, like, what is it? What is, and this is just like loving your neighbor as yourself. Like, what are, what are the concerns of the person that I'm with? And how can I, in a peaceful way, alleviate those concerns. But what keeps us from doing that, Lisa, is we get so focused on our own concerns. Like, and this is just life in general. We get so consumed with the worries of our world that we don't care for others. And so I just, that, that's all is, is clarity. Like clarity is kindness. If you want to be kind, be clear. Say, hey, I really enjoyed tonight and I would love to ask you out again if that's okay. And so I'm going to call you tomorrow and, um, and if that's, yeah, I'm going to give you between now and tomorrow to think about that. And, and if that's not something you want to do a, again, I, I understand, uh, just let me know when I call you tomorrow, you can just say, Hey, I had fun, but thanks, but no thanks kind of thing. And, and I'll be okay, man. Doesn't that just sound mature and kind and <laughs> like God is good kind of thing. Yeah. So how do you discern, you know, say the relationship is progressing for a while and, and everything looks good and this person is great and it seems like they're being honest, but then you do realize maybe they are honest and they're talking about like some significant stuff that could really affect a marriage. Like maybe there is some unresolved abuse in their past. Maybe there is um, maybe a, an addictive behavior or something that hasn't yeah. entirely been let go. How, I mean, because no one wants to go into a relationship being someone's Holy spirit and like, okay, here are the things you need to fix and whatever. But yeah. how do you, how do you talk through that kind of stuff and ensure that you're not signing up for a, a hot mess in that sense? Yeah. Yeah. How do you, when do you, what do you share? And so I'll, I'll start with the, the, when do you begin to talk about your sexual past? When do you begin to talk about some significant events in your life that you would want to share with someone you're going to marry? This could be an abortion. This could be an STD. This could be, it could just be a psycho ex, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend that, that is still, you know, shows up every now and then anything like that. Um, I think when you see that this is progressing toward marriage and so, so before engagement, but it's like, as you begin to think about like, Hey, this is, this is not going to be a two or three week thing. Like we, we are committed to each other and really we're dating to find out if this is, if I'm just trying to confirm that you are who I think you are and um, that, I, you know, that I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And that's where you, you, you both need to sit down and say, Hey, when let's, well, let's talk um, about our past. What do you share? You need to share anything they want to know. And so um, take mine and Monica's relationship as an example. Both of us, we dated as non-Christians and then became Christians. And so we both have pasts of, of all kinds. Mine's a much longer list than hers. And and so for me, I'm like, hey, I want to know everything, you know, and just 
it just I want to know everything, which is which was my own immaturity at the time. And for her, she was like, I don't I don't need to know anything. Like I I trust you, and I mean I, I trust that God has changed your life. And um, if there's something that you think I need to know. Uh, please tell me. But other than that, I don't, I don't need to know any details. And so you just, you need to say anything that they would want to know and, and to share that um, as you see it progressing. Hmm. Did I answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, okay. that's helpful. I think, I mean, I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that transition for you and Monica going from unbelievers to believers. And really, I mean, for so many people, that would mean the end of the relationship because either one person is like, I'm not on board with this new self yeah. of you or whatever. And the fact that, you know, God gripped both of your hearts, but there was still a transition and some <laughs> upheaval and changes that had to be made. Talk about how you navigated that season. Yeah, I'm not sure that it shouldn't have been the end and not permanently, but like in, in hindsight, I probably would have counseled myself like, hey, you should maybe take a break here and and pursue Jesus wholeheartedly. But that's that's the beautiful thing about grace and God and how he delights to show us mercy is he works through our dysfunction and it shouldn't be our strategy, but he's, you know, he's a good and gracious God. And so in our situation, um, we started dating in uh, right out of college, and we loved to party. Our whole relationship was really built on going to the club, going to the bar. And uh, I was at a club 18 years ago, and someone invited me to church. I sat in the back row, hungover, and smelt like smoke from the the night before, and ended up surrendering my life to Jesus, and just trusted in Him. And really, the Holy Spirit came into my life and began to change everything. And so she's she's with me, obviously, we're, we're dating at this time. And so I asked her, what do you believe? And up until this point, all we had done is fought about, you know, relationship stuff. And at this time she articulated the gospel. She said, well, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and that God raised him from the dead. And I said, well, I believe that too. Let's, let's build on that. But what it meant for us is we, we stopped having sex. We cut out the physical, um, and we began to pursue Christ together. Our, our conversations began to change to to look like, you know, what would God have us do? Now, I just said that really quickly there. Uh, that obviously was was a challenging process of of you know it was, it was difficult, you know. But uh, and so we did that for several months. But then it was like, man, we need to get married. Like now, now we love God. We're pursuing God, and it wasn't like we were, you know atheists prior to that we both were church we were churchgoers but we just weren't our lives were not submitted to jesus so we had knowledge of the bible we just weren't applying it to our lives and when the holy spirit came in our lives we began to you know read the scriptures and say all right let's do what they say and that changed everything you know that's that's when we began to date the right way and that really led to marriage and and then you know here's the other part of that lisa is i was addicted to pornography i mean i had i had addictions i would i loved to party i was materialistic i had all of these sin struggles that marked my life because i was just your average pagan and now i'm a christian and those things don't just go away overnight i mean some of them did but some of them didn't and so i had to go through a season of healing we got in community other people came around us and 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 began to help us and pray for us and we started to confess sins and grow and then the lord called me to vocational ministry 5 years later hmm. but um but yeah just i mean it really was a holy spirit makeover but it's messy i mean i don't i'm not trying to like stand on my hill with my cape waving in the wind like <laughs> me and Jesus. I mean, it was really, really messy and hard. And that's what sin does. I mean, sin makes life messy. 
Yeah. So I think it's good, though, because it I mean, and this is where I think it's so necessary to see and explore the Holy Spirit's working in another person's life, because this is not something you could have conjured up for yourself. You couldn't have just said, "Okay, well, Monica just gave me some ultimatum, so I'm going to have to drop the porn. I'm going to have to drop the party and I'm going to, you know, you you both had to be transformed by the Holy Spirit and realize that to move together successfully into marriage and to minister together and whatever, uh, you know, that change had to continue to happen. And I think that's where, you know, again, this dependency upon God is so necessary for us as individuals if we're going to be become part of a couple in the future. That's right. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. Well, kind of as we as we finish out here, uh, we have a few more minutes and I'd like to kind of circle back to the whole idea of the church and singles and pursuing marriage. And for those who who want to be open to marriage, what what do you think, JP, it looks like? Like, how can the church continue or do a better job of including singles in the life of the church, including singles in the body of Christ? Because, again, I think one of the big hurt points for so many single young adults is you know, they they talk about family and it's biological family and many single young adults may be in a church away from their nuclear family or, you know, someone like myself, I've now lost both of my parents and I'm kind of like, well, some family adopt me, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so how can churches be part of that about really being like you are family to us, but still mm-hmm. help singles be open to marriage and honor marriage as single people? Yeah. yeah so as as Christians, like Christian just means little Jesuses or Christ followers. I mean, Jesus was single. And so I think the first thing the church needs to, to start doing is stop elevating marriage above singleness because it doesn't belong there. It, it's two different things that are both good. Paul calls them good. Marriage teaches us about God. We, we see how the Trinity relates to one another. But singleness teaches us about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus for a single person pursuing Christ, they learn that Jesus is enough. And, and you know, the, an immature single person is going to think marriage is going to make me happy, while a, marriage, a married person is going to know better. I mean, right now in our world, you have a lot of married people that want to be single and a lot of single people that want to be married. And this is why I think the, the scripture does speak so much to contentment. I think, um, and just from a purely strategic, like not even scriptural, like purely strategic perspective, the church needs to see that 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 my single friends are, are some of the the strongest forces for the kingdom that God uses, and so begin to empower them, develop their gifts, and deploy their gifts within the body. And then I think for my, you know, if, if for married people in the church, they need to invite them to the table. And so always, you know, check in on them, ask how they're doing. Uh, my single friends, if if you're single and you want to be married, you know, make sure you talk to all your healthy married friends and say, I just want to make sure you guys know I'd like to be married. If you know of someone, you know, let me know. Like if there's somebody that I should look into or, or you know, check on or, or go on a date with, like, please tell me. And, um, and and solicit their help, and then I just I think us coming together, the, the the church has to create these opportunities where the the generations can can mix, or I'll say this, and or create really great environments for your single friends, and be thinking about that. And so if the pastor's like, well, that's not my responsibility, I would say, yeah, it kind of is. I mean, you you you, it's your responsibility to shepherd the flock. And if that's the flock among you, then you need to think about how do I strategically shepherd them, not just ignore them because they're not in the same life stage as me. 
Yeah, that's a great point. Well, awesome. And hopefully that we as as singles can do our part in that too, because the last thing a church needs is a bunch of just bitter and angry singles yelling at pastors and going to other churches and being like, hey, you know, you don't even care about me and being part of the problem. So that's right. everyone listening, I'm talking to you because I'm single and, you know, JP can say it, but sometimes we just need to tell it to ourselves too. So that's right. awesome. Well, folks, uh, the book is outdated. Find love that lasts when dating has changed. We've been talking to JP, uh, Jonathan Pakluda, and uh, just really appreciate uh, you weighing in on this. And of course, not just writing about it, but living it out as a pastor and someone who very much has evidenced care for young adults and singles uh, within your churches. So thank you, JP. Friend, I love your support and I love your example and I love the way you love God and help others love God. So keep going. Oh, thanks so much. Well, folks, um, again, we want to make this book available to you. Again, it's called Outdated. Uh, You are going to hop over to this week's show uh, this week. Uh, The episode number is 683. So just go there. You're going to see the book cover. Click on it and give a gift to Boundless for all that we're doing to help you and encourage you. You know you love us and you want to support us in the new year. So do it. And we're going to send uh, this book to you as our thank you for that. So um, cool. Uh, Again, hop back to last week if you didn't catch the front end uh, of this show and the front end of this interview. So and we'll see you around. You got the whole world in your your plans you've got the whole world in your hands it's the hardest thing it's a constant fight in a world that moves at the speed of life to slow the chaos down slowing on down is the only way i'll ever hear what you have to say i need to hear you now You've got all of this figured out You've got the whole world in your hands Got the whole wide world in your hands And every little thing is under your command So I will trust your plans You've got the whole world in your hands All right, well here we are for this week's inbox as we finish out the show and counselor tim sanford is here tim good to have you good to be back lisa <laughs> <laughs> all right well this is a great question because this is kind of the um whenever we talk about like marriage prep here at boundless we always have to wade into the whole family and in-laws and that kind of stuff and it's like you know realizing that oh yeah this isn't just some kind of rom-com where you're on screen for an hour and a half with a guy that you think is dreamy um eventually if you're going to marry <laughs> this is going to become real life and so this is a great question in light of that so here we go uh our listener says i've been dating a great godly guy for the last month the only problem is that he's estranged from his family he doesn't speak with his parents and most of his siblings he hopes to reconcile with them one day but right now that's not a possibility my mom is strongly against the idea of me being in a relationship with someone who doesn't have strong familial ties and i know that an issue as big as this one is going to create tension in our relationship in some way is it enough that he's a great guy for me to look past my mom's disapproval and his complicated family or am i making an unwise choice here Oh, that's a good one, Lisa. And there's a whole lot more here that we don't know. 
And so it's going to be hard to give a real strong, definitive answer with that. Um, I mean, is he estranged because of his previous actions somehow? Um, Or is it because he's doing good boundaries with an unhealthy family? We just don't know. So with that said, it's early enough in the friendship. Yeah, I'd encourage you to listen to your mom's advice. Hmm. Here's why. Okay. He may be a great guy. Yes. And yet... He may also be the product of what sounds like a dysfunctional family. We don't know for sure. What I do know is if he is from a dysfunctional family, it's impacted him somehow. And there's a lot more here, again, that we don't know and and see it. And I, I think in word pictures, and so I grew up in Ecuador, and a dormant volcano is still a volcano, And there's still the risk that's there. And I've seen way too many situations similar to this, Lisa. And it didn't turn out well in the end. I mean, I'm thinking of one in particular here. It was 10 years into the marriage before these issues surfaced. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of hard and kind of late with it. So, I mean, the only time I would encourage her to continue the friendship is if you know that he's done some good therapy work with a professional Whatever the issues are, again, I don't know, and I'm not going to pretend that there are, but this isn't a nice, neat, spanky, clean family. Mm -hmm. There's something here. We just don't know what. And so if he's done some good, hard work with that, yeah, then maybe okay. Because remember, and, and this is foreign to our U.S. individualized thinking mindset, you marry the family. You don't marry just the guy or the girl. And that is so, so true. But we don't think about it because we're so in love or he's such a great guy or this or that. And we don't see the family until. Mm-hmm. And it's the untils, the wedding, until holidays, until children. And that's where it comes out. So from what little bit we know here, would it, I'm kind of thinking it's safe to say that this is not, probably not a family that you'd want to marry into. Hmm. So what would you say, Tim, what's the next step for her? Because, again, if it's the that former situation where you said he's just trying to establish boundaries, maybe he, you know, I mean, it, there's so much we don't know here. Like he could be a believer with a family that aren't believers and they're just like, we don't even like you as a, you know, whatever the right. possible scenario is where, you know, if he is a great guy who loves the Lord and whatever, and maybe they're unwilling to have communication or have relationship with him. What does she need to be asking? Where does she go from here to figure this out? I think a couple things. One is ask him more about what's going on to learn what's going on inside of him. And number two, what's the reasons? What's the purposes? Ask more about the family history of Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. um, so that she can get a more information and get a better defined decision process going for her. Because like I said, yeah, this could be okay, but if it smells like a fish, looks like a fish, and barks like a fish, take a double take and at least get more information, ask more questions. Okay. I'm still trying to process barks like a fish, but that's okay. <laughs> All right. Well, good good advice there. And again, to be cautious and to get more information and really maybe some other ears and eyes on the situation is always good. So people that know him and her both, yeah. they can speak honestly to her. Okay, cool. Well, thanks so much for weighing in on that. 
Okay, folks, uh, that is it for this week's show. We always want to hear from you, and we love it uh, when you write to us or you find us on social. You know, we do a lot there as well. And also, um, because, you know, we're a few months now into the new year, we would love it if you hop over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review, especially if you're new to the show and haven't done that yet. Uh, Let us know what you think and leave a, you know, I mean, leave a positive review. We would love that Uh, because then other people can find the show and maybe get excited about it as well and give it a chance. So uh, in the meantime, we will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family.